got to do this together. But the idea of Galatians is pretty, pretty doggone simple. And that is that it is the simple, unadulterated, perfect gospel of Jesus Christ. That's what the entire book of Galatians is all about. And it helps us to understand, like we've talked about these last couple weeks, the relationship between law, which is the commandments of the Old Testament, the commandments of Jesus, all that. The, the, the relationship between law and grace, the relationship between law and the gospel. And Paul is very matter-of-fact about this stuff throughout, throughout the book of Galatians, which kind of mirrors a lot, not kind of, greatly mirrors a lot of what you find in Romans, by the way, God's, God's great, or Paul's great theological essay. Galatians is just a little bit shorter and a little bit more straightforward, I think. Um, so some of the stuff that we've covered over the last couple weeks and some of the stuff that we're going to cover in the coming weeks, is, it might be challenging to some of us. It's challenging, it's challenging to me. It may cause us to ask a lot of questions. It may cause us to even struggle or wrestle with some of the firmly held beliefs that we already had, and that's okay. You know, God is in the business of changing our minds about some things from time to time, and I, I have found in my own life that if I'm too, if I'm too stuck and uh, in, 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 in firm in certain things that I believe and certain things that I hold true. I'm not leaving God enough room sometimes to work uh, truth into my life. So a lot of times we have to be a little bit malleable and, other, and bendable and allow God to do the work that he wants to do through us. And it's okay to struggle with our faith. It's okay to wrestle with questions of understanding of Scripture and, and all that stuff. Um, I do it all the time. Um, again, Galatians is about our lack of perfection. And this is, this is our lack of perfections. We're never, ever, Christianity's been around for 2,023 years. Nobody's ever gotten it right thus far in all of their theology and all of their doctrines. So, you know, we're just struggling with the rest of the church that's existed for 2,000 years. Uh, but for what it's worth, and I'll tell you this, you know, just, just like, I, uh, like I mentioned in the beginning, for what it's worth, and, and take this however you want, I can tell you guys in all honesty, and in all sincerity, that in my short time as a, as a, as a full-time pastor now, I've never, I have never, ever, and y'all know that when I preach, preach pretty doggone passionately. But I can tell you in all sincerity, I have never in my life, never in my pastoral life, been more convicted, um, more compelled, and more led to speak to anything than, than the subject material in the book of the Bible here that I'm speaking with you guys over the next, have been speaking with you guys about and uh, we'll continue over the next few weeks. So we started looking at Galatians last week, um, just from the beginning. And again, we're going to go just th straight through it. So let me, but let me give you a little bit of a breakdown about what we did discuss, or maybe some of the highlights of it anyway. Uh, we looked at verses 1 through 10 in the first chapter of, of, of Galatians. And Paul starts the letter off like he does all of his letters, by identifying himself as the author, as the writer, or as the, as the dictator. A lot of times uh, when these guys wrote letters, they didn't write them personally. They were, they were speaking them to a, to a dictator. Regardless, he's the, he is the author of the letter, and he identifies himself as such. But then he also adds this little caveat to that introduction. He identifies himself as one who has been commissioned to preach the gospel and to his ministry, not by human authority, not by a human organization, but by Jesus Christ himself and by God himself. And there's a reason that Paul does that, and he's going to repeat that He's actually going to repeat, he's repeating it throughout the letter, but he's going to repeat it in these scriptures that we study today because he wants people to know this. He wants people to know that his authority and the gospel that he is preaching is not coming from something that he learned from anybody, any preacher at the time, any prophet at the time. It came directly from the mouth of Christ himself. And that's what he's out there teaching. He wants to drive that home to the people of the church of Galatia. So after a very brief 
greeting to this church, which I mentioned to you briefly was kind of out of the ordinary for Paul. If you ever go back and read some of Paul's letters, the introductions that he writes are pretty, uh, can be pretty lengthy, you know. They're, you know, they're, they're, they're nice, they're friendly, they're kind. And, uh, you know, he said, you know, stuff like, I thank God for you, I pray for you every day, and, and this and that. Every time, when, generally when he's introducing a letter, or in the introduction of a letter, the letter to Galatians is a lot different. He identifies himself, he says, I am under the authority and under the commissioning of Jesus Christ himself. And uh, his, uh, his introduction to him is very, very short. His introduction to him is very, very short. He launches into the heart of the entire issue, the entire reason, the entire purpose that he's writing them. And I told you guys that is in verse 6 of chapter 1. I don't have that to show you. If you, don't, if you remember it, you remember it. If not, you can go back and look it up later. But the entire message that Paul is trying to get across to, the, to these churches, to this church, is found right there in chapter 1, verse 6, when he says that I am astonished. I am, I am astonished. I am, can't believe it. I am taken aback that you guys are so quickly deserting the one who called you in the grace of Christ and that you are turning to a different gospel. Now, what does that mean? I, I may have touched on that last week a little bit. I, can't, I really can't remember if I did or not because I, said, I talked about so much. But I want to give you a brief explanation because the rest, because, because, because this is going to help. He, he mentions it specifically on into the letter, but I think it's relevant or it, it's needful for us to kind of get a, get a base understanding or a foundation under, foundational understanding of what exactly is going on here at this church when Paul writes these words, that I am astonished that you have turned from the grace of God into accepting another gospel. In other words, the gospel that Paul did not deliver to them in the first place. Paul went there, he delivered this gospel, began this church went away and these other group came in and they started essentially teaching a different gospel than what Paul had taught. They kind of, the church had kind of been hijacked by this group who basically said that Paul's gospel, the gospel they had been taught by Paul, was basically not enough. Basically it wasn't enough. Specifically, it was not enough for them just to receive, simply to receive the good news of Jesus Christ by faith in Christ's saving work through his death and resurrection. According to these folks, there was more to it. There was more that you had to do in order to receive salvation, in order to receive that justifying grace, in order to be reconciled to God. It was like we talked about last week. They were preaching this Jesus plus gospel. You had to believe in Jesus plus you had to follow all of the Old Testament law, right? Now, let me run one of those by you because this is one of the ones that's, that's specifically talked about in the Bible, in the, in the book of Galatians. One of those laws that they were insistent that new converts, that new Gentile converts had to follow was circumcision. Now, let me ask you gentlemen. Y'all can smile, it's funny. You can laugh. God's got a sense of humor, man. Let's say you convert Christianity at the age 30, 40, 50, 20, whatever, 15. And they say all of a sudden, yeah, you got you, you got the believing in God part, but in order for you to be authentically saved, we're going to have to do a little chopping. How, would how well would y'all receive that? Yeah, about the same as I would, right? Well, that's what, that's what they were telling these folks. You've got to be circumcised. It doesn't matter if you're an adult or not. You have to follow Jewish law. You have to believe, 
You have to have that heart faith that, that, that Paul talked about, but you also have to follow the Jewish law just like we did. And it doesn't matter if you're an adult or whatever. You've got to go back and you have to go through that. That's one of the very specific laws that they talk about in, in, the, in the book of Galatians, and we'll get to that at some point. But I think you kind of get, get the idea here. Paul calls this gospel a perversion. That's the word that he uses. This is a perversion of the simple gospel of grace through faith and nothing else. That is, that is a hallmark of the Protestant tradition, by the way. Grace through faith, simple. So that's basically what happens in verse 1 through 12. Verses 11 through 24, which we're going to look at today, uh, Paul just kind of launches into some of his own testimony. Uh, let, let's read through that real quick while I'm coming down and kind of break it down just a little bit. <clears throat> so he, he, he begins by, you know, his introduction. He says, you know, I'm, I'm appointed by God and Jesus Christ. Kind of launches into this thing about, you know, I can't believe that you guys have, have, have so quickly um, uh, uh, been led astray by a different gospel. And then he starts telling, him, telling them, writing to them, some of his own personal, or reminding them. They had already heard this. He's reminding them of some of his own personal testimony. So he writes this in 11 through 24. Brothers and sisters, I want you to know that the gospel that I've preached is not human in origin. Does that sound familiar? He's repeating himself. When you, when you see somebody, when you see the authors of these letters repeating themselves a lot, there's a reason. They're really trying to drive this point home, okay? Hey, he just said it a few sentences, literally just a few sentences ago. I want you to know the gospel I preach is not of human origin. I didn't receive it. I didn't learn it from a human. It came through a revelation from Jesus Christ. You heard about my previous life in Judaism, how severely I, I harassed God's church and tried to destroy it. Y'all didn't know uh, Paul was a big-time persecutor of Christianity in, uh, in the beginning. He was part of a religious group, a religious organization that, that made it one of their purposes was to go out and uh, persecute Christians, killing them if they had to. I advanced in Judaism beyond many of my peers because I was much more militant about the traditions of my ancestors. But God had set me apart from birth, and he called me through his grace. He was pleased to reveal his son to me so that I might preach about him to the Gentiles. I didn't immediately consult with any human being. I didn't go up to Jerusalem, Jerusalem to see the men who were the apostles before me either. I went away into Arabia, and I returned again to Damascus. Then after three years, I went to Jerusalem to visit Cephas and stayed with him 15 days, but I didn't see any other of the apostles except James, brother of the Lord. Before God, I am not lying about the things that I am writing to you. Then I went to the region of Syria and Cilicia, but I wasn't known personally by the Christian churches in Judea. They only heard a report about me. The man who used to harass us now preaches the faith that he once tried to destroy, and so they were glorifying God because of it. That's the word of God for the people of God. That's a, that's a mouthful. So again, go back to the beginning there. Paul wants people to know where and where he received this commissioning as a minister and a preacher of the gospel of Jesus Christ, where he received this gospel, the one that he now reveals to others. He didn't get it from people. He didn't get it from another human being. He didn't get it from another human organization. He says that he repeatedly, he reminds us that he received it as a direct revelation a direct revelation from Jesus Christ himself, God in the flesh. Now remember, as far as we know anyway, Paul never met Jesus while Jesus was alive. As far as we know, these two never encountered each other face to face. Paul, like I said, was a major, major persecutor of Christians. 
He was a big shot in this religious community that opposed this breakaway Jesus movement, and they opposed him through any means necessary. We know through the book of Acts that although he may not have uh, directly thrown a stone at this disciple named Stephen, he was certainly an accessory to his murder, for example. But what happens to Paul and what he's talking about in these verses today is that he had a revelation from Jesus Christ himself, a revealing that literally knocked him off his horse. The risen Christ, this is after Christ's death, resurrection, all that. Paul reminds, tells us in his, in his uh, testimony and other places in the Bible <clears throat> that Christ literally appears to him while he's en route <laughs> to do some good old-fashioned persecuting of, of uh, Christians. And this encounter forever changes the life of Paul. Now, if you were to read corresponding time frame in the book of Acts, here's something really, really cool. What you're going to find out is when, while Paul is having this encounter with Jesus Christ, this guy whose people he has been persecuting rampantly, at the same time that's going on, if you're reading the book of Acts, there's another guy that God is talking to, and his name is Ananias. And God is telling him to go look for this guy, this guy named Saul. That was Paul's name before it was Saul. A lot of people like to change their name. God likes to change a lot of people's names in the Bible. But God tells Ananias at the same time that Paul's having this conversion, or right about the same time, he tells this guy, Ananias, I want you to go, and I want you to go look for this guy named Saul, and I want you to lay hands on him because God has chosen him, because God has chosen him preach the gospel to the Gentiles, to preach the gospel to kings, to preach the gospel to the people of Israel. Paul was not some kind of fluke. Paul wasn't an accident. He wasn't making all this stuff up that he says happened to him. Paul was part of God's great plan all along to bring others into a relationship with God, into a relationship with Christ, with this beautiful gospel, this good news this good news of salvation by the grace of God, not through works, not through the ability or the inability to follow the law, which none of us can do, but through simple, authentic, sold-out faith in what Christ has done for us already through his death and through his resurrection. So I don't know about y'all, but I get the feeling, you know, if I had, an, if, if I had had an experience like Paul had had, and I, and I had a pretty powerful experience, but I would think that if I had an experience like Paul had, and I found out that somebody was teaching this church something that I, something that was, that I had not taught them, especially if it was given to me directly from the mouth of Jesus Christ himself, I would probably be a little put off too. I'd probably be a little put off too. I'd probably want to, put, be, want to push back a good bit against, against what was going on there. And Paul uses a lot of, strength, of very strong language, by the way, um, in, in, this, in this book, which we'll get, we'll get to at some point. He's not going to back down from this. He's not going to back down from teaching. He's not going to back down from proclaiming this gospel of grace through faith. Not just because it was taught to him by Jesus himself, but because he experienced it himself. He was one of the worst sinners imaginable, yet he had this direct experience with Jesus, the experience that justifies sinners, that makes them right 
in the eyes and in the mind of God. How could he not share this with people? How could he not share this with people? How could you not insist? How could he not insist that other people not modify this gospel? That other people not add to this gospel? He couldn't. And that's why he's writing this letter. Now here's a neat little side note that uh, most of us probably don't even consider. Most of us probably don't even think about when we read this. But uh, Paul's experience with Jesus was not just a one-time thing. We, we read about this, this initial experience that he has with him when, he, when he's on what we call the road to Damascus. He's knocked off the horse. He's blinded. And Jesus comes to him and says, Saul, Saul, why are, you, why are you persecuting me? We generally think that's the end of the story. And all of a sudden, Paul starts preaching the gospel, right? That's not what he says. This is really neat. Look closely again at verses 15 through 18. Paying attention, baby. <laughs> That's one way to get her to do it. <laughs> Take a look at 15 through 18. God had set me apart from birth, and he called me through his grace. He was pleased to reveal his son to me so that I might preach about him to the Gentiles. I didn't immediately consult with any human being at the time of he, that he had this incident with Jesus I did not go up to Jerusalem to see those who were already apostles before me I went away to Arabia and then I later returned to Damascus after three years I catch up after three years I returned I went up to Jerusalem to visit Cephas Cephas by the way is, uh, is Peter you know, talking about name changes I went to Jerusalem to visit Cephas, and I stayed with him 15 days. I didn't expect to see any of the other apostles except James, brother of the Lord. After three years, there was a three-year period between the time that Paul had this intimate, this immediate experience with Jesus and the time that he began his ministry and met up with these other, other apostles. What do y'all think was going on there in those three years? According to Paul... He spent an entire three years learning from the risen Jesus before even setting out on his ministry. He didn't get saved, quote unquote, and then start his ministry, start preaching the gospel, going out all half-cocked. He spent three years being educated in the gospel by none other than Christ himself. I know some of y'all are trying to wrap your heads around this at this point. This, though, is why he can say that he is the bearer of the true and the perfect gospel. That could be a hard pill for some of us to swallow, and I know I get that. You're, you know, you're telling us, Jerry, that, that Paul was directly taught by Jesus for three years on earth, the same Jesus who was beaten to death a few years earlier, the same Jesus who we read ascended into heaven after his resurrection. How can that possibly be? The answer, church, is I don't know. Answer churches, I don't know. But what I do know is this. What happened after those three years when, when Paul finally catches up with these other apostles, when he finally catches up with all these other guys that do know Jesus, that were part physically of Jesus' initial ministry, they accepted Paul as one of their own. They accepted Paul and they expect, accepted his teachings as one of their own, despite the fact that it was not off, too awful long ago when Paul was hunting them down without any regard to whether they lived or whether they died. That speaks volumes. 
It speaks volumes to the fact that they accepted that Paul was preaching the exact same gospel that they were preaching. This, I think, is pretty doggone good motivation to be writing to the Galatians when he says, when he's a little ticked off that you guys are adding to what I said. This comes directly from the words, from the mouth of Christ himself. The lesson here, though, church, and I know this is a hard one to swallow probably, Jesus isn't dead. We proclaim that every Sunday. Jesus is not dead. That is one of the primary beliefs of the Christian church. Jesus revealed himself to Paul, and Jesus reveals himself today to us regularly. Regularly. As a matter of fact, I'm going to go back to that term revelation. Paul had a major revelation. He had a major revealing that forever altered his life. And this is how Jesus comes to us, church. Revelation. Revealing. God's grace calls to us. God's, God's grace calls to us. His gospel calls to us. It may come through the words of a preacher like myself. Maybe it comes to us through receiving the bread and wine through communion, which we're about to do. Maybe it comes to us through our friends and our families. Maybe it comes to us through complete strangers. But that revelation is very, very real. Very much alive as Jesus Christ reaches out to us. Even more, matter of fact, Jesus coming to us in the first place. Now, y'all think about this. Jesus coming to us in the first place is the only way any of us have been able to receive him. Daryl Wood, am I right about that? I know when I'm on to something when Daryl's nodding his head like Jesus coming to us in the first place is the only way that any of us have been able to receive him. We don't go to him first. He comes to us. How about that? Y'all remember what he wrote in John chapter 6? No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws them to me. If we think our salvation is a matter of our works or how good we are or how bad we are, come on. Come on. We're only drawn to Christ because Christ comes to us first. Salvation by grace, and only by grace, church. We're saved because God has reached out to us first. What a miracle that is. Because he gives us revelation, not because of what we've done or not done. And that's a miracle, folks. I've told you guys, it is, I, I've recognized for a long time, man, because I, I, was, I was adamantly opposed to Christ and the church and, and, and anything remotely resembling Christianity for the better part of 20 years. So if you want to talk about a miracle, let's talk about the fact that God reached into me. And that's not something I say lightly, man. When I say I hated the church and despised the church, I mean I hated and I despised the church. And I didn't want nothing to do with it. You think that I came to God on my own? You think that I just made this decision all of a sudden out of the blue that, hey, I'm just going to follow Jesus? No, man. Jesus came to me. Jesus revealed himself to me. Jesus came to me just like he comes to you guys through grace and through revelation. It is an absolute miracle that any of us have that salvation. It's an absolute miracle that any of us have that. But we have it because God's grace comes to us first. Finish this by uh, reading off to you this one quote that I came across that kind of speaks to this idea. The author wrote these words. He said, he says we marvel at or we puzzle over the mysterious 
blinding light types of encounters with Jesus. But the sheer fact that any of us believe the gospel, the sheer fact that any of us believe the gospel is every bit as miraculous and every bit as supernatural as multiplying loaves of fish or walking on water or summoning forth the dead from their tombs. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit,